Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 10. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 10. We are continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Solomon. And as we have spent a lot of time in the beginning part of his life where he was a man of wisdom, where he was a man who sought after God and God had spoken back to him. He, we've seen him at now at the height and the zenith of the ministry. Solomon has been ruling for about 20 years. 20 years has been marked with prosperity, by wisdom, by the favor of the Lord. And we're right here at the pinnacle. We spoke a little bit this morning as the Queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon and examined and looked at the happiness of his servants, the manner of the people that worked with him, and saw that it was a lot more than just gold. It wasn't just God's or Solomon's wealth, and it wasn't just his wisdom, but it was the manner of the people of God has blessed him. The people were genuinely happy to be here with Solomon. But now we're at the peak and we're getting ready to drop off from that roller coaster ride and start taking the plunge down. And as we're at the peak, we're taking time to look around, survey where we're at, where we came from, what's going on currently here at the very height of this roller coaster ride. And we find ourselves in the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 10. <clears throat> The first book of 1 Kings chapter number 10. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 14. The book of 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 14, the Bible says this. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, um, three score and six talents of gold. Beside that he had of merchantmen and of the traffic of the spice merchants and all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into one target and he made 300 shields of beaten gold Three pound of gold went into one shield and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king had made a great throne of ivory, overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps and at the top of the throne was round behind and there were strays or excuse me, there was stays on either side of the place of the seat and two lions stood beside the stays and 12 lions stood there on one side and on the other side upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with a navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver 
ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God hath put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices, horses and mules, a, a, a rate year by year. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of First Kings chapter number 10? The book of First Kings chapter number 10, in fact, we're going to take two phrases and put them together for this idea of this passage. Notice with me in verse number 23, notice where it says, Solomon exceeded, Solomon exceeded, and then the next phrase, four riches. Solomon exceeded four riches. We're just... A, setting aside this, all the kings of the earth, Solomon exceeded four riches. And we're going to talk about Solomon's riches here, that Solomon exceeded four riches. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, as we examine the life of King Solomon, as we see him at the height of his majesty, of his glory and his prestige, we also see the danger that he is now standing upon, getting ready just to start going over the edge. Help us to take the warning of the life of Solomon that we understand you have given great blessings. Help us not to take advantage of those blessings and start seeking the blessings rather than seeking after you. We need you even now. Fill me with your spirit, guide and direct. Open up the passage and open up the Bible that we may learn these principles for ourselves from your precious word that we can have your blessings and not have the consequences of seeking after others. Thank you, Lord, and thank you so much for the day. Watch over us even now in Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this passage, I want to first of all show you Solomon and his riches. Solomon and his riches. This passage here now gives a summary of the riches that Solomon had. And by the way, Solomon had a lot of riches here. There is a lot of things going on here. Notice as it goes on, it gives this summary statement, verse 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year. So now we're talking about all the things that came to Solomon, all the, the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, three score, and six talents of gold. By the way, as a reminder, a score is 20. So three times 20 is 60. So it's 666 talents of gold that came to him every year. For those of you who like numbers, that's an interesting number, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is equivalent to a couple of billion dollars of revenue every year. How many of you like to file those taxes? Hey, this is how much I made every year. Uh, uh, you know, we couldn't even imagine dealing with a B number. Billions of dollars of revenue every year. This is someone now who's just making so much money he doesn't know what to do with. There's a lot of money that is coming. God has blessed him and the revenue is coming in. There is just, by the way, this isn't speaking of silver or treasures. This is just his gold revenue. This is a lot. No wonder the Bible said he exceeded for riches. When you have just billions of dollars just coming in in revenue, just in gold, 
You're exceeding for riches. Very much he had blessed. Very much he had this. Not only this, let's see this other stuff that he had. Verse 15, beside that, beside that gold that came in, he had the merchantmen and of the traffic of spice merchants of all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. So not only this, he also had spice merchants and he had agreements from foreign kings that was bringing in spices and this and that. All of these luxury items from these other kings around him, he set up the agreements with and has brought them in. Notice as it goes on in verse number 16. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold and 600 shekels of gold went into one target. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three uh, pound of gold went into one shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So notice this, that <clears throat> Solomon here now has so much gold, he's using it as decoration. That what he does is in this last example, he takes 300 shields of gold. So he makes actual shields, like something you'd use in battle, except they're never to be used in battle. Gold is not something you want to bring into battle for several reasons. One of them is it's not a very good defensive metal. It's a very soft metal. It's easy to dent. It's easy to move. So the only thing that they can be used for is decoration. And so he takes three pounds of gold, three, sorry, he takes, uh, uh, yeah, three pounds of gold, and he puts them to make one shield. So if you can imagine, you have so much money now, you don't know what to do with. So what you're going to do is that you're going to take a briefcase full of money. Let's just say that, you know, you have about $10,000. I'm just throwing estimate. And you say, I don't know what to do with this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a little paper mache uh, little thing of a and make a little painting or something. I'm going to put epoxy on it and I'm going to craft it into a nice design. And then I'm going to hang up this $10,000 because I don't know what to do with. And I'm going to put it up on the wall as a decoration and I'm going to make 300 of them. Now, if you just have a decoration with like $10,000 just made into epoxy, now you can't spend it. It's just there. Are you just exceeding full of riches? I mean, now, I don't know what to do with my gold, so I'm just going to make decorations now. I mean, I've got everything else covered. And so when people would come in into the house of the Lebanon and see these 300 shields decorated, they would go, wow, this guy has a lot of money. I mean, most of us, if we can imagine that you had an extra $10,000, you wouldn't have an extra $10,000. I was talking with a preacher the other day and we were saying, yeah, what would happen if you had a million dollars? I would have a million dollars spent in a couple things. I wouldn't have time for that million dollars to spoil me. You understand? We've got a church payment. I've got a house payment. I mean, I've got kids that are getting ready to go to college. That million dollars is gone. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, you know, give me a million dollars and say, build a church building. I'd laugh at you. I mean, we need a couple more of those million dollars to even think about building another church building. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's nothing. A million dollars is nothing. You know, if we found that, we would easily use it. We have things that we could pay for. Some of us have medical bills. I mean, those need to be paid. I mean, you've got grandchildren. Well, they require money. I mean, some of us who are still have kids and they kept going, hey, I need new clothes. And you look at them and laugh at them. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I mean, we've been there, done that. 
Here's a guy who has so much money, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, everything's paid for, everything's taken care of. I'm going to use it for decorations. Solomon exceeded for riches. Can you imagine going in there and everyone who went in there, hands in their pockets, man, I could just take one of those shields and do something with that. One of those shields can help take care of some of my bills. One of those. And what it is, is a big display of wealth. No purpose whatsoever other than decoration. Because what else am I going to do with it? I got so much, it's just all over the place. I might as well. Solomon exceeded for riches. Notice as it goes on. It talks about his throne now. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. So ivory is made out of bone, normally out of uh, the tusk of elephants. And so they've taken these tusks and they fashioned the ivory to make a throne. But that's not enough. They have to now cover this ivory throne with gold. And you think to yourself, is that comfortable? I mean, no, it's made out of gold. I mean, how comfortable can it be? It's not for comfort. It's for saying, hey, I'm so rich. I just sit on money. Solomon exceeded for riches. Could you imagine that someone gives you just, you know, oh, a million dollars. And I don't know what else to do with it. I'm going to make a chair out of it. I mean, can we find something better to do with that? But Solomon's got everything paid, everything, and I might as well make furniture out of my money. So not only has he got decorations in some of his place made out of money, he's got a chair made out of money. Why not? I mean, it's not comfortable to sit in, but everyone looks at me and go, wow, this guy's rich. It's a great display about how wealthy he is. Woohoo! What do you do with that? Notice it goes on and it describes more of this throne room. We've talked a little bit about this on Wednesday. Notice this, the throne had six steps. So as you would go up to the throne, it would have six steps that would lead up to his throne. So as he's sitting here, he's bigger than everyone else. And they're long steps. Each one of these steps, um, the throne had six steps and on the top of the throne was round uh, behind and there was on the stays on either side of the place and two lions stood beside the stays. So on the very top, you have the, th- the throne which is ivory overlaid in, <coughs> in gold. And then next to him is two gold lions. Why not? These gold lions can't do anything, can't protect them. They're just there. But that's not all. So with these stairs, verse number 20, and 12 lions, so six stairs, two lions per stair, stood there on one side of the other on the six stairs, and there was not the like made in any kingdom. So these big wide stairs on each one of these stairs had two lions apiece. So leading up six stairs, 12 lions, thrown two more lions, all made out of gold. Why not? So when you come to hear Solomon, when you went to Solomon's court, when you went to present something to him, you would go to this big, awe-inspiring throne. This throne that is perfect, beautiful. These golden lions, full-size lions standing on the platform, just going up to Solomon. It's just intimidating for all of his wealth, for all of this glory, for everything. You would just be in awe just stepping in. 
wow, I'm standing before Solomon. This is a wealthy guy. This, this is amazing. Could you imagine this would be pretty intimidating to most people who would come up and say, what in the world do I say to a guy like this? This, it's amazing what was set up. Notice as it goes on, verse 21, you want to talk about just having so much money you don't know what to do with. And all of King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold and all the vessels in the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were silver. Now that's saying as if silver is such a horrible thing. No, no, no. Solomon only had vessels of gold. So the cup that he drinks his sweet tea from, gold. The plate that he eats his steak on, gold. His fork and knife that he cuts at steak, gold. No, no, no silver. Silver is not good enough to be in Solomon's house. I mean, everything here is gold. I mean, can you imagine you had to pay the dishwashers quite well so they didn't go walk off with your dishes? Gold. No, no, no silver here. Everything is made out of gold. That's how Solomon was rich. He exceeded for riches. I mean, can you imagine that you don't even use uh, proper silverware before? I mean, he know, I know there was no paper plates back there, but can you imagine if there was? Pfft, we don't use paper plates here. Bring out the gold stuff. But all you're having is just McDonald's. Gold. Serving on a golden platter. I mean, that's what he had. He exceeded for riches. I mean, this is wealthy. He had so much money he didn't know what to do with it. Let's make plates out of it. Could you imagine taking a nice <clears throat> couple thousand dollars, taking an epoxy resin, making it so this thousand dollars is all put into a cup and that's what you drink out of my thousand dollar cups. Woohoo! You could see, hey, there's Benjamin Franklin's face on there. All right, yeah. Nothing else to do with it. Everything else is paid for. I'm sure no one else needs it, so I'm going to make a cup. He, you understand, we're seeing the extravagant. He exceeded for riches. I mean, there's, <laughs> you're just making cups out of gold. Can't even have silver allowed in there. It's just, you know, that's, that's too inferior for us. Notice as it goes on, verse 22. For the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with a navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold. So he has this whole navy that is now being used just to bring in more riches. Every three years it brings in more riches and it brings in other things <coughs> from exotic lands like silver, ivory, apes, peacocks. Can you imagine this? This is in 1000 BC. That's a long time ago. Solomon says, hey, I have nothing else to do. Hey, you know what? Go find something exotic and bring it in. So now Solomon's known for riches, gold, apes, and peacocks. <laughs> Why not? I got to have some new pets. I need something out for the garden. Let's get all these peacocks. So, you know, look how beautiful I am. Have you seen a bird like this? What in the world is that? Yeah, see how great I am. I mean, now he's bringing in his own zoo just because he can. He's ex um, <coughs> exceeding for riches. 
Now, notice as it goes on, verse 23. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and wisdom. Yeah, without a doubt, he's got so much money he doesn't know what to do with it. Even the kings are going, wow, only Solomon's this rich. None of us have that type of money. I mean, and this comes from God's blessing. God had truly, truly blessed Solomon. Verse 24. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. But notice it continues on. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver, vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices and horses and mules, a right year by year. Notice this now. Because of Solomon's wisdom, so many people began seeking an audience with him. And with them, they would bring gifts. In order to king, hear King Solomon now, you had to bring a gift. This wisdom that God had given Solomon for free, Solomon is now charging to get a little bit of the wisdom. He's now exceeding for riches and now using this gift that God has given to him and charging so you could hear a little bit of this wisdom. He exceeded for wisdom. Now, Obviously, he's starting to get at a place now where money is now becoming more important. In this chapter here, in this segment here, you don't see anything about God. It is all about riches. It is all about his extravagance. It's all against his beauty and his majesty and look how great Solomon is. You know, the New Testament gives a warning about this. And as we turn from Solomon's riches, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is where we're going to park for the rest of the message here. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And let's see what God has to say concerning riches that we could see is now Solomon is now teetering and he's fixing to head off the edges. We could see part of what this warning is, is that we need to be warned about riches ourselves. You say, well, I don't exceed for riches. Yes, but we could still desire riches and make that a goal of our life, even if we don't have it. So notice, if you don't mind, what the Bible has to say in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. And I'd like to show you a couple of things from this passage here concerning about riches. The next thing, or the first thing from this passage, is the truth about riches. The truth about riches. Notice with me 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and notice with me in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we will bring nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The truth about riches is that we don't own anything. God owns everything. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. God created the wealth. God created everything. <laughs> he created the air that we breathe. He created the soil that we plant. He created even us. And according to Ezekiel, he owns our souls. We don't own anything. It's all God's. All that we're supposed to do is be wise stewards. The Bible says here in verse 7, For we have brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. When you were born, you were not born with a nice gangster gold necklace hanging around your neck. You weren't even born with any clothes on. You had nothing. 
zero, zilch. And when you die, you are not taking anything with you. You do not see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. They can't bring any of it with you. It's, it's one of those facts. You don't own anything. And if you're to be honest, you were born with nothing. And when you die, you will have nothing. All of us will be equal. Every single one of us. There's an old Russian poem, and I'm going to see if I could remember. I'm not going to quote the poem. But basically what the poem was stating is that there was a man who really loved riches. And he was very much exceeding for riches, wanted to have the more. And he had the opportunity that was given to him that he could own everything that he saw. That everywhere his feet would go in a one day period, he would own the only deal is that he had to be back where he started from by the time sun set. And so when the sun rose on the day of this thing, he was prepared. He was ready to go. He started booking it as fast as he could go, just in a straight line, gathering everything he possibly could. And he is just booking it. Oh, about the afternoon, he started to realize maybe he overexerted himself. Maybe he got a little bit too greedy and knowing that the only way that this stuck was if he had made it back to the starting point by the time sun set. And so with everything he could, he began to push himself on the way back. He began to pump his little body, trying to get it everything he could. And as the sun began to finally start setting rays of the sun, he could see the starting point where he began that morning still in sight. And so he pumped, he worked and he pushed himself. And he finally, as the rays of the sun started going down, he hit the finish line. As he hit the finish line, he fell down, blood pouring out of his mouth, overexerted himself and he died. The workers took him and buried him. This man who died for greed and for trying to get as much as he could, they buried him in the ground, made a six foot long, three foot wide hole. And the title of this poem, this Russian poem, was how much land does a man really need? At the very end, all he needed was six foot by three foot all he had. <laughs> when we were born, we had nothing. When we die, we have nothing. That's a certainty. So our goal should not be the things that we cannot take with us. That's the truth about riches. Job echoed this principle in Job 1.21 after he lost all of his riches, lost all of his lands, lost all of his uh, um, animals, which was a status of wealth there. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If riches aren't ours, then we can feel entitled to riches. When, to be honest, verse number eight, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. All that was promised to us from the Bible is food and raiment. That's it. If we have these things, we're to be content and be satisfied with what God has given to us. Because the truth about riches is that we don't own anything. 
as this passage in second or first Timothy chapter six continues, we see a second thing, the temptation of riches, the temptation of riches. Notice with me in verse number nine, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. The problem of riches is that it switches over our goal. If our goal is riches, then we're going to fall in temptation. We're going to fall into snares to try to reach that goal. And as we said before, you don't have to be rich for riches to be your goal. You could be very poor and say, all I want is more money, more money. If I could just have more money and solve my problems. The goal of riches bring to many foolish and hurtful lust or desires. The word foolish here carries the idea of not giving regard to God. Because full, uh, riches become a goal, what happens is that you fall into many foolish lust, many foolish temptations, many places that you would go that you would not have ended there if your goal was God. But because it was on riches, you're now looking for more. You're now trying to get more riches. Whatever I can do to get there. This, these are the type of things that drown men in destruction. The word destruction here carries the idea of ruin. The idea of perdition here carries the idea of the loss of well-being. Notice again, as it says in verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So the ruin of man, this destruction, and then the loss of your well-being. That many people who have chased riches end up losing their health, their life, their happiness, all gone. For something that they cannot take with them. We see this temptation of riches. We go on and see the result of riches. The result of riches. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, as a reminder, it is not money that is our destruction. It is the love or the goal of money. Having money as the goal is the root of all evil. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The desire to have things and not allowed to give you what he sees fit is a place where people will fall and filter. I'm not satisfied with what God has given to me. Can you trust God to give you what's best? Can you trust God to give you what you can handle? Because there's a lot of things we can't handle. We think we can, and we like to try to, but we can't, and God knows that we can't. But instead, we murmur and complain, how come I don't have this? And how come I can't have this? And how come I can't have this? And yeah, I mean... I mean, it could be even over silly things. Let's go ahead and hit home. My kids are like, oh no, what's going to do? You know, for example, we usually have a tradition of eating out after church. I mean, we don't have time after Sunday night to make a meal. We got to go. Leah's got to go to bed and all of this stuff. And so we developed the habit of let's stop somewhere to eat. Well, every now and again, 
the money's not there. We've all been there. And so we can't do it. So guess what? We can go home and be satisfied with what we have at home. But isn't there something about the flesh that says, well, I'm not satisfied with what I have at home. I don't want a peanut butter jelly sandwich. I don't, I don't want a turkey and cheese sandwich. I, I don't want some... And my kids are starting to yell at me now. It's cool. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have a, a little pizza that we throw in the oven really quick. Nobody wants that. You want the real stuff. And our flesh starts craving and we start not to be satisfied with what we have. That's what our flesh does. I'm trying to make a personal illustration because we all do that. I mean, it's very easy to go laugh at the oil man and look at him. But, you know, we do the same thing. Can you be satisfied with what God has provided you? Sometimes God will take away just for a little bit, just to see if you can be satisfied with a bologna sandwich or be satisfied with what little thing you have. God does that just to see where our heart is, just to prove to us where our flesh is at. I'm starting to see many of you have been through that same trial. God does that just to see where our heart is. Can we be satisfied? What is our goal? What is the thing? Is it to feed the flesh or is it goal? And or God, if it's not God, then what happens is that we can be miserable. All right. Let's imagine personal illustration or <laughs> personal application. We've had a great service, uh, church service today. It was great in Sunday school. We had visitors. We had good stuff. Uh, Good message this morning. Very powerful message this morning. Hopefully a decent message right now. And we can go home, look at our refrigerator. It's not empty. It's just not what we want. You guys ever starve in front of a refrigerator looking at all the stuff in there and like, I don't want any of this. And we can go home and be miserable because I didn't get Taco Bell. And, you know, the whole night's ruined just because I didn't get to go eat out and feed my flesh whatever I wanted. And now we're not thinking about the certain, you know, see, our goal changes. Our goal now becomes feeding our flesh, money, riches, and we're not satisfied. And because we're not satisfied, the whole day which God has worked has been erased. And we can only concentrate on that one thing. I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. Now, I'm just preaching to myself tonight, okay? Uh, the rest of you just listen on, you know. So this will be brought back up later on when I'm staring at the refrigerator. <laughs> what is our goal? God does this to show us every now and again, what is God our goal? Then if God is our goal, can we be satisfied with what he has provided for us? Or are we going to murmur and complain because I didn't get what I wanted? Which now brings us to the last thing. The goal should be God. The goal should be God. Notice with me verse number six. Verse number six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If our goal is God, we can be content with what God has given to us. And we end up gaining much. We gain much. There's a lot more we can gain. So what if I didn't get my thing I thought I wanted? If I want God more and have contentment that I can be satisfied and trust God, there is great gain there. True riches are not in material things with God. 
People could be really rich and be missing out on all of their life. They could be unfulfilled and so empty. Riches do not satisfy and they cannot buy peace. But we can have peace with God. We can have satisfaction with God. Yes, being satisfied with God may mean having less than others. And it may seem like that materially. But God is more real to those people because God is their goal. And God satisfies. This is the lesson that we learn from Solomon. That Solomon started going after riches and more riches and more riches. And God started to be no longer the goal. The goal was more riches. Everyone sees and measures how great I am by my wealth. Not by my walk of God. You know, there was a time where Solomon's greatness was measured by his walk with God. But now Solomon's uh, uh, measure is measured by his wealth. And he had fantastic wealth. But as we're going to start seeing, he starts to become emptier and emptier and emptier. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When God becomes our goal and we learn to be satisfied and trust God, we gain a whole lot more than gold. We gain a whole lot more than money. We gain a whole lot more than riches. To have peace is worth so much. To have love, true love, that's worth so much. God is able to give us a lot more than anything money can buy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we see for Solomon that King Solomon exceeded for riches. How is your contentment? Or perhaps we could say this, what is your goal? If your goal is God, you will be satisfied with what God has provided for you. If your goal is riches, then you're going to find yourself very much discontented and finding yourself in very foolish situations trying to get more to satisfy. That will never satisfy. What is your goal? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.